crosstalk, the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels, a casual conversation. This is Video Game Crosstalk, episode 024, the monthly podcast of gamers talking tech, science, and whatever else comes to mind. I'm your host, Anthony DeRossi, and with me this episode is cosplayer and librarian, Miss Molly. Huh? Molly, are we doing this for real this time? For real, third time's the charm. Oh my goodness. So, okay, we're going to make this really quick, just because we need to get back into this. Uh, we've been having some technical difficulties, and Zencaster is just being over the pain right now. But everything is going good, and now I'm looking at my screen. I can actually see my waveform panning across the screen, so I know for a fact we're recording this time. For reals. Yeah, we just had about 10 minutes worth of really awesome conversation that has been lost to the ether. It wasn't, it wasn't meant for mortal ears. It, it indeed was not meant for mortal ears. Uh, but we're just going to start right from the top and get this moving. So... First thing, I had the pleasure, the opportunity, the luxury, the honor of meeting you at Empire State Comic Con in Albany, New York, uh, two months ago at this point, one month? Time's a blur for me. It is, yeah. April? <laughs> April. Okay, so yeah, about about a month, month and a half. We'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, both of us seem to be a little bit under the weather right now. For me, I... Fought off a quick cold about two weeks ago, and all of the pollen and God knows what other allergy blooms all came out all at the same time here in New York. And you're fighting off a little bit of a cold yourself, correct? I am, yeah. Just don't make me laugh too hard. (laughs) Well, (laughs) challenge accepted. So, (laughs) let's see if we can get Molly to cough. (laughs) I won't do it. You can't make me. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. But, um... So, yeah, the count was a lot of fun. We both got to meet all sorts of people. You were kind of put into, I guess we're going to call it cosplay corner, cosplay quarter, cosplay alley, something like that? Yeah. I think that's probably the most accurate, the cosplay corner. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Uh, And you, like all the cosplayers, all put into this one kind of row kind of area. But you had prime real estate over there. You were right by the escalators, right? Yes, uh, people had to kind of walk the gauntlet. They had, they were like, (laughs) come by us. Um, We were right by the escalators and the elevators. So like once you step off, you have like one of two ways that you can go. And the the majority of the ways that people went was by us. So if anybody made eye contact, it was like a, you come over here and talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) And we get to meet all sorts of people at these comic cons. Yes. Like, all sorts of people just come out and just have a fantastic time, buy up stuff, get to celebrate whatever fandom they may be um, into at that time. Mm-hmm. Over on the uh, on the website, I actually posted a full gallery of, I tried to get a picture of every cosplay that comes by my table. And this time, I think I had like 60-something pictures Ooh, this time awesome. around. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot that came through. And... 
you get them at all different levels. As long as you can tell who or what the cosplay is, that's an absolute success, as far as I'm concerned. And even if you can't, like, sometimes I don't know everything or every person, oh, you can't. what they're doing. But if you, like, if, as long as they're excited about it and they'll tell, they're, everybody's always so willing to be like, oh my God, I made this and this is who I am and this is from the show and you need to watch it or you need to listen or you need to do everything and that's what makes it awesome. Yeah, it really is though. Um, Aaron and I in the previous episode talked about how one of the best things you can do, proper things to do, is if there is someone in the, a cosplay that you enjoy and you want to take a picture, first thing, just ask. Yep. Because it does two things. First, it's polite. All right? Just out of common courtesy, ask before you take someone's picture. Yeah. But also, you get the character pose each time. You know what I mean? Like They know what works and they know what their character does. And it's like all about the hand placement and like the little right. mark or an eyebrow or something. Right. They get into whatever pose it is. I've had a few where they're like, oh, hold on. Let me get ready. And they had to open up a briefcase. They had to, like, pull out some additional accessory that they didn't feel like carrying around at the time. Uh And they set up, like, this impromptu photo booth, photo session for you. And it's just by far the best thing you can do. Just just quick ask, because everyone's going to say yes. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, unless they're, like, everyone or, like, no, I'm in the middle of my hot dog. Leave me alone. (laughs) Oh, well, that... that's a little bit of a different story. If I'm you know, finally getting an opportunity to sit down, I'm like, hey, can I take a, oh, scruff. No, get away from me. That's a little, yeah, that, that's a little bit more understandable. But um, yeah, having people come up to your table and come up and just as a vendor have interaction with people is a lot of fun as well. So being where you were located, you must have plenty of interaction. With the con goers. Oh, yeah. As a kid. <laughs> I'm, like, notorious for talking to strangers. So oh, nice. It's mostly, like, if anybody even, like, looks at my in my direction, I'll be like, hi, how are you? How's the con? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Who are you here to see? Have you seen this? Are you going to go do this? And I'm teaching yoga. You guys should come. And, and all kinds awesome. of Awesome. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, really quick, the, uh, the yoga aspect. You actually... Did you do one or two court um, panels at Empire? I did two. I did one on Saturday and one on Sunday. Um, okay. The one on Saturday was for grown-ups. Um, <laughs> and then the one <laughs> on Sunday was for kids. So um, and, they're, okay. and they're grown-ups if they wanted to join. <laughs> All right. So I have never been to a yoga session. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so what? What goes on? What like how does this all go down? And particularly in like a con environment, what what goes down for a yoga session? Well, as far as I know, I'm like the only person who's doing this right now, mm-hmm. at least on the East Coast. Um, okay. I don't know about the West Coast because they're always more progressive in terms of those things. But yeah, um, yeah, they probably worked avocados into it somehow. I know because they're because like, of course they did. <laughs> it's avocado yoga, um, right? But so I've been teaching for over three years. So my yoga classes that I teach in a studio are a lot different than what I would be teaching at a con. Okay. So what I do at a convention is I kind of be like, okay, so who's taking yoga? And it's usually nobody. 
So I'm like, all, all right, right. <laughs> who has stereotypes about what yoga is? And everybody raises their hand. Everyone raises their hand. Okay. And they're like, so we're going to be like doing chanting, right? And I'm like, no, that's not what we're doing. Um, so I try to pick um, really accessible poses that people will know from like stereotypes, but making them accessible and like silly. Okay. So my yoga is playful. I like to to be silly and I don't want to take it seriously. And it's about finding joy in little things as opposed to like, I need to be so serious and my warrior one pose, my knee needs to be at a perfect 90 degree angle. And like when you see those pictures of these people doing yoga or these women mostly doing yoga, you're like, nobody bends that way. How are you supposed to do that? And yeah, right. <laughs> I want yoga to be accessible for everybody because it is, um, mm-hmm. and and fun. And I and I want people to be able to play and take those a little bit of time for themselves. And this is a fun way to do that because I mean, people going to comic cons are usually a little bit more willing to be playful. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, well. Yeah, I, I would assume that kind of comes with the territory of people who attend these kinds of events. If you're going to go out in public, dress as your favorite video game character, anime character, superhero, <laughs> uh, and just completely indulge in your geek indulgences, I guess we'll just use that term. Uh, yeah, you're probably a little not on the serious side, a little yeah. less than serious during the day. And it was really cool, like... We start with our normal poses and some easier ones and some harder ones. And then I always finish class with something ridiculous. So I'll be like, all right, guys, pick a place on the wall. We're going to do handstands. And like everybody tried them. So I had uh, uh, 15 adults, some in costume, some in not doing handstands against the wall. And it was awesome. (laughs) That is fantastic. Yeah. Pretty much like warm them up with their standard poses, the, an accessible version of them. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, we're going to finish it off. Bet you didn't think you're going to be doing handstands in a, a studio or a <laughs> yeah, panel discussion theater. today, did you? Well, <laughs> get to it. Yeah, and it was like, it's always a, you don't have to, but if you would like to try this, like, let's mm-hmm. go. And some people do it on their own and other people are like, oh, I don't know if that's something that I want to do. And I'm like, I can help you. Like you kick your legs up and I'll make sure that they go all the way up to the wall. And then when you're ready to come down, I'll make sure that you don't tumble. And awesome. yeah, so it's like a partner thing. And like they get so excited that they did something that they haven't done since, I don't know, most people don't do handstands or haven't done them since they've been like 12. So <laughs> it has been a long time since I've done a handstand uh, back. We'll say 20 years and 40 pounds ago. As part of my workout as a track runner. But uh, as I said, that was 20 years and 40 pounds ago. So not so much anymore. <laughs> No, not until you come to my yoga class. And then, then That's right. <laughs> and who knows? I may, may surprise myself. So you also mentioned that you did a session for the children's. I did. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was ridiculous. The second one. Um, so the first one, I was dressed like Wonder Woman, sort of. Okay. Um, I had my tiara and my armband and, and everything. But the second one, um, I was completely green because I was Gamora. Okay. Um, and I didn't know if the kids would be like, like, they don't really care. They don't care what color, if you're green or anything, they're just, they just want to come and play with you. And so I had like one little boy dressed as Batman and his little brother was dressed as a piece of pizza. 
<laughs> and we were the coolest right. kids ever. So like I had my mat spread out and they came and sat on either side of me. And so they were the teachers too, but it's a lot of tumbling and like getting their energy out and not so much about a focus on the poses, but more of the listening Okay. Um, and, and, and getting them to focus on themselves and, and mastering like the control of their body. So listening to what the teacher says and then doing what he or she does and mirroring and that type of thing. And it was okay. really awesome because there was a mom that was there that her husband was working the convention. I think he was part of the Star Wars group. So she had three or four kids. Okay. We were like everywhere and running around. And um, after the class, they did everything and they tumbled with me and it was super awesome. And um, like an hour or two hours, she came by and all the kids are passed out in their strollers. And she's been like, these kids have been sleeping since your class over two hours ago. And it has been amazing. Please tell me that you live close by so you can do this every week. And I was like, oh, I wish. No, unfortunately. <laughs> I live in Connecticut. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So who has more fun? You or the kids? Because it sounds like you, you just have a blast doing this. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I know I'm supposed to say that the kids have more fun, but it's probably <laughs> And there is no shame in that. There's no shame in that. Yeah, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, why bother? Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> that. Oh, that can go into its own entire panel discussion and or podcast episode and or whatever. <laughs> um, I've actually had this discussion kind of in so many different ways and forms as far as like being a. I kind of classify myself as a bit of a born again geek. Uh, I. Sadly, I hit it grew up, growing up. I wanted to be one of the cool kids and not, you know, be outwardly enthusiastic about my little nerd habits and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But uh, it wasn't until maybe about ten years ago or so where I pretty much said, "Ah, oh, screw it! I'm going to just do me." Yes, <laughs> always. And, oh, <laughs> it's been so liberating. It's been so liberating. And now I just tell people straight up, like, listen, I don't watch TV. There's a handful of shows that I'll try to catch, but I just don't watch TV. And all that time that most people will sit unwinding, watching whatever reruns of whatever reality shows and or Chopped and or Law and Order and or whatever, you know, that's time that I spend gaming. And that's that's just basically what I do these days. And it is so enjoyable. And finally, finally coming out of my shell and actually going to these different cons, again, I'm just surrounded by like-minded people. And it's, and it's so much fun. <laughs> it's so good. So how long have you been going to cons? How long have I been going to cons? Um, I think this is my seventh year. Oh, wow. Um, it's really – well, it started – um, because I've always been into comics, but I was, I was more quiet about it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but I got hired as a librarian and I took over programming that the previous librarian that had that, I, whose position I took was doing. So she did a free comic book day. I was like, well, oh. there you go. Yeah. And I was like, oh, finally I can like let my nerd flag fly. It's going to be great. And I'm like, I know so many people who have costumes. I'm going to make this free comic book day. Amazing. So I contacted my friend and I was just like, hey, can you dress up as Spider-Man or something and come to the free comic book day? But because it's free comic book day, all the nerds already have stuff to do. 
<laughs> and he's like, right. no, I can't come, but I can get you a costume if you can get a body to put it. I'm like, oh, sure. So I, um, I harangued my personal trainer and I was like, hey, man, um, I got a Spidey suit. How do you feel about spandex? And he's just like, anything for you. And I was like, awesome. So I like put my personal trainer into a Spidey suit. And I got free comic books from a couple local shops. And um, it was really small and everything. And I dressed up like a super budget Wonder Woman. Um, hey. And it was awesome and so much fun. We had like 50 people come, which is like nothing. But it was so fun. And then the next year, I made it bigger. And I had more of my friends come because they knew ahead of time that I was doing this thing. And then the third year, I had even more people come, and we had like 150 people show up. And then um, my fourth year or fifth year, I'm not sure, I was like, you know what? Screw it. We're throwing a full-blown Comic-Con. Um, and so I organized a Comic-Con at the library, and we had like display vehicles, and everybody got a free comic book, and we had panels and food trucks and um a big show and like a frozen sing-along and face painting and all this stuff. And it was amazing. And we got almost a thousand people to come for a four hour event, which was the biggest um, program that the library that I work at has had since it's opened in the seventies. So I, I can only imagine. <laughs> I was really excited. And I got a lot of pushback from like the library board. Like that's not what the library does and that's not what we do. And uh, you're going to have a logistical nightmare. And I was like, no, I got the cops come in. They're going to direct traffic. And like we closed off the parking lot. And and it was really funny because uh, there was a, a domestic dispute in my neighborhood um, like a month after the con or like three weeks after. Um, okay. There was a shooting situation and like a girl got away and I sheltered her in my house that's another story. But like the cops came to get her and one of the cops like opens the door. He's like, Oh my God, it's you. And <laughs> the other guy's like, what do you mean? And she's like, this is the librarian I was telling you about. She threw the comic con that I worked a couple weeks ago. That was awesome. And I'm like, okay, thanks guys. I'm terrified right. right now, but I'm really glad I made an impact. <laughs> yeah. Like th thanks for the recognition, but can we handle this? But can we like take care of this though? Thanks. <laughs> well, I've just been sitting here listening to that story completely drop-jawed because that is freaking awesome. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Our library has been you know, branching out, trying to do more things, more youth-oriented things, uh, which is great. They've had a few game nights. Uh, they have little sessions and workshops here and there. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I can't imagine a library doing a full-blown Comic-Con, even at like a library scale, just to be able to pull that off, pull that together and have it all function anywhere near normalcy. That is amazing. It was, that is it, so it, awesome. It, <laughs> oh no, it happened. It was, yes! Yes! <laughs> it was, uh, and no, I'm not going to cut that out. <laughs> it was um, awesome and ridiculous and so good. And we, we did it last year. And we got a similar amount of people, but then I also started throwing Renaissance fairs because that's another thing that I do. I don't know if you saw on my banner in front of my table it was like cosplayer, yogi, thrower of sharp things. I teach people how to throw axes and daggers and spears 
um, at Renaissance Fair. So I was like, oh, I'm looking at that on uh, on your business card. Right? I've got your business card in front of me right now. And <laughs> oh, don't worry, we'll be talking about that line of thrower of shark things. But since you brought it up, uh, <laughs> so go into that real quick. So that. Um, it was actually the two-year anniversary of that was a couple of days ago. Um, okay. So I went to a Renaissance fair with some of my girlfriends, and um, I got uh, conned into um, entering an axe throwing competition, having never thrown anything before. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and um, so I go, and there's, like, these humongous burly guys and, like, a couple really, like – pretty beautiful girls that are all standing in line and me. So I'm wearing like this big skirt and a corset and a big floppy hat. And so when you go up to the line, you get matched with three random people and you all go and you have four axes and you throw and whoever wins that round gets put aside and that type of thing. So I'm with these two humongous guys and like one of them comes up and he's just like, Oh, I won the ax throwing competition last year. And I'm like, good for you, man. It's my first time. I've never thrown anything. And he's just like, yeah, of course. So we're getting heckled by the guy at the, on the podium whose job it is, is to heckle. you. Oh, okay. All right. So, so it's his job to heckle. Yeah. Okay. It's his job. Um, and so he'll like pick something like if you're wearing something or if you have like a really big beard, he'll call you a lumberjack. So I had a big floppy hat. So he either called me his next ex-wife or floppy hat. And so like nobody had a lot of confidence in me, obviously, being the girl with a corset on throwing axes. And um, I stuck two or three out of the four the first round. And then the second round, I stuck three out of four. And then the last round, I stuck all of them. And so I won and I won like this ridiculous dagger and like, they're like, we haven't seen somebody throw like that in probably the last year. And do you want to teach people how to do this on a regular basis? And I was like, what? Yes, of course I do. All right, so you actually now have a job with the Renaissance Fair? Yeah, Explain it's that part. like a volunteer thing. Um, All right. But, like, I do teach people how to throw things. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Again, you just awesomeness all around. It's, it's I like doing so, those unexpected things. They're like, oh, look, she looks a little and cute. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so also on here, again, I mentioned that you're a librarian. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been at your library? Um, I started, I've been at the library itself for, uh, I think 10 or 11 years. Um, I started, (laughs) I started as a page, so I was putting books away. Um, and then I was the janitor for a while. Um, (laughs) and then I left to get my master's degree because you need to have uh, your master's in library and information (sighs) science in order to be a librarian. Um, okay. So I went to New Zealand because obviously, um, as one does, as one does, as you do casually, just as far as way as I could, um, to get my degree. And then while I was in New Zealand getting my degree that should have taken two years, um, the the position opened up at the library that I was used to work at in my hometown. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply because why not? Mm -hmm. I didn't have the qualifications of the master's degree, but I was like, whatever. So I did. 
Um, and I got the job and they're like, but you can only have, we'll only give you this position if you have your master's degree by May. Um, so I finished my master's, my two year master's degree in, um, exactly a year, um, on February 14th. Um, and I submitted my master's thesis on February 13th, um, of the following year. And yeah, I've been there. I've been in a librarian at this library for seven years this year. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So just all of a sudden, oh, time to uh, time to throw it down. Got to do it quick. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, all right, that's fine. I'll just take seven classes at two in the morning and then go to work at nine a.m. That's that's fine. This this sounds great because <laughs> it's it's like it's eighteen hours difference time difference. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was good. I was young okay. then, younger and stupider then. <laughs> so at the library, please inform the uneducated of this pair, which is myself in this case. Um, what do you what do you do at the library? Um, other than because again, I, I have too many thoughts going through my head, and my mouth can't keep up with me. So <laughs> please excuse the half sentences and stutterings. But for me, when I go to the library. My main objective is I've looked up a book that I want to read or a series I want to read. I go to the library, I find said book, and I check it out. And for me personally, that's the extent of my activity at a library. I know there are so many more offerings and services that libraries provide. What are some of the things that you've been involved in? So I'm specifically a children's librarian, so I primarily work with the kids. Okay. And I'm... My niche is I'm the story time librarian, so I do story times. I do five to six story times a week, and I get usually about two hundred to three hundred people for those for that for those story times total. So that's what I do, and then I do comic cons and Renaissance fairs, and like that's the programming aspect. Otherwise, I order books that people want to read. I help kids with research for their school projects. Okay. I help people navigate where things are. Our library is, we organized it so it's by categories. So all of the sci-fi fantasy books are together and all of the comic books are together and, and all of the nonfiction animal books are together and that type of thing. So I help with that. And it's kind of more about, it's not so much just about the books now. We Our library is very focused on programming. So what we do for the kids, we, we work with primarily birth to 14. Okay. Um, but we have music CDs and graphic novels and DVDs. And um, we have this whole really cool thing called Hoopla, which is where most of our comics are from. They're all like eBooks because our comics okay. get stolen so frequently. Um, uh, that's important. And it's, it's impossible to replace them with our budgets. So we get them online. So you download it. And then when your borrowing period is up, it just gets taken off of your device and you can't feel it. <laughs> hey, that works. And then there's no late fees because it's always returned on time. <laughs> it's always returned on time. I got to throw up the air quotes around that. Yes. <laughs> That's like my like selling point. It was like, you don't have to worry about it being late because it never will be. But it's like there's a really cool shift about like libraries aren't just the like storehouses of 
dusty old books anymore. That's not what libraries are. And that's what they started to be like started out as because there was no way to collect information Mm -hmm. from everybody. But now with like things being so readily available, it's more about making sure that people have access to as much as possible. Yeah. That's one of the things I will tend to bring up in some conversations or uh, social media sharings where there's so much more going on. As I said before, my personal experience is mainly just checking out books, uh, my own pleasure reading, but I am aware that or aware of the rest of the programming that happens at the library, all the workshops, all the little social events for teens, and the fact that this may be the only access to the internet that some people can have access to. And that's something that people forget about. Like everybody takes for granted that everybody has a smartphone or everybody has internet at home and not everybody does. So we offer free internet and like, which is have, really important because so much is online these online. days. Yeah. Even job applications, yep. job applications. Um, we help with, we have like, you can research your ancestry um, we have like medical professionals coming in to talk about issues. We have um, local veterans services that come in once or twice a month to like make sure that veterans are getting the services that they need and signing up for the benefits that they can get. You can come and schedule uh, just, you know, and talk to a lawyer for free about any things like any legal issues and stuff like that. And it's, it's all really interesting stuff that, I, I don't know, we can get to do. <laughs> and also that is really important. Yeah, and free. Really important. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's provided. Oh, I remember years ago, I was working two jobs, and I was just getting bored out of my mind, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I, I just can't afford to go out. I can't afford to go just to the movies or to the bar or something like that. Just, I need to start cutting back on like whatever I could because I was working two jobs for a reason. Let's not spend the extra pocket change I might have. And I'm just raking my brain trying to think of like, what, what can I do? That's free. Oh yeah. Reading. I should probably get back into that. Uh, give that another go around. I hear it's uh, popular with the kids these days. Yeah. So All the cool kids are doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I go to the, the library and this is like how, conditioned I am that everything needs to have a fee associated with it. For a moment, I was ready to bring out my checkbook or credit card when I got my library card renewed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then I thought like, no idiots, this is what your taxes are for. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> it's a public service. It's a public you idiot. <laughs> you silly goose. <laughs> really though. And I just kind of sat there with my hand like on my wallet, ready to pull out my credit card, and trying to pretend like not make it obvious that I'm really ready to make a payment for a free service because <laughs> I've been that far out of the loop. Well, it's still <sighs> funny. Like some some libraries do charge for DVDs, so it'll be like a dollar to rent it for the week or whatever. But like we okay. we don't do that. Um, but people will be like, okay, and we'll just like hand them the stack of DVDs with the little receipt in there, and they're like, and how much is it? And we're like, it's nope, still free. We're still free. Still free. Yep. Please bring them back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just bring them back so they can continue to be free. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> but it's on your card now, so you're gonna get uh, an exorbitant bill if you don't bring them back, and we know where you live, so 
And then we do <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on into the first of the science and tech news items going on. And the first one, um, we've got some pretty awesome articles, I must say, for today's episode. Mm -hmm. And the first one is a little something from NPR. And the title of this article is, What's going on in your child's brain when you read them a story? So many things, (laughs) so many things are happening and it's really great to see that there is still research being done in this field. And it's like, we all know that you should read to your kids. That just is common knowledge, common wisdom at this point. But to see (laughs) what actually happens in the child's brain, or at least even a summarized news article like this, it's really good to see. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? So it's really, I like reading stuff like this because, like, we get all the time, like, oh, why do I have to bring my kid to story time? Like, well, are you reading like I'm reading? Because if you're dead panning, like, little pig, little pig, let me in, like, they're going to be bored. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, like, there's so much screen, there's so much screen time for kids and even like before story time will start, like the kids will be sitting in their parents' lap or their nanny's lap or grandma's lap, like on a phone and just staring at it until story time starts. And like when iPads and stuff came out, we we started doing iPad story times um, where we had like a one-to-one like ratio of like parent-child with an iPad and we'd all read the same story and everything and then they get to play and explore and when that started they didn't have the research out of like how this affects your child's development and brain and everything but our hypothesis was as long as you're talking about it and not just using it as a distraction then Mm -hmm. like you're still getting the benefits of having a story time with your child as you were if you're using a paper book. But if you're just using it as like, a, okay, just be quiet, go sit down, like stop bothering me, mommy needs her alone time, that's when it you run into trouble and you don't, like as the article says, like the kids aren't developing those neural pathways. And it's kind of like, it's interesting to see, like the kids will be interested when I do like an iPad story, like I'll have storybooks up there just so it's projected on the screen and they can see it. But I still do the same thing that I would do with a paper story. It's just bigger. So you ask them like, where's the pig? And they'll point to it and then be like, all right, what does a pig sound like? And then they all make little piggy sounds. And <laughs> but, the, but that is all good stuff because it's creating the associations. They're building, the article mentions the scaffolding between the different concepts and things. So that's it, all great interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it like brings in like they are associating like reading is fun and like I get to do this with my favorite person or one of my favorite people and they know Mm -hmm. like when they come to the library it's library day and they know that when they come in that we're going to read a story and it's going to be silly and Miss Molly is probably going to make some kind of weird animal sound and it's going to be great. (laughs) All right and like I need to mention this as I've mentioned on previous episodes people are pretty much hearing what it's like to be a new dad with me because I started this podcast a few months before my son Jacob was born and he's currently 19 months at this point. 
Oh, my favorite. So, he's so cute. We recently got his haircut oh. uh, for the first time. He legit, if you go through my Instagram, I think I have a few pictures of him on the Facebook for uh, the podcast. He had legit shoulder length hair. Oh. <laughs> and it was glorious golden plumage cascading down upon his shoulders. But before recording this uh, tonight, I read to Jacob every night. A- absolutely every night we read something to him. You know, he gets bored and he wants to turn the pages faster than we can read, or that's just him interacting with the book. But we always at least make an effort to read at least one board book or something with him. Uh-huh. And within the past few months, you can see connections are being made and he's understanding more. He's got, as far as language is concerned, he understands some basic language. Like if we say, uh, go to your chair so daddy can put your shoes on, he goes to this little storage chair of his and he sits down and he puts his foot out. Uh, we ask him to, could you please sit down while you're in the bathtub? And he will sit down. So basic things. So even though he's not speaking yet, he's still understanding language. And bringing it back to reading to your child, when I read to him now, and it's one of the books that he particularly enjoys, after every page and every few lines, he'll turn, look up at me, and just have the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, you're so cute! Aww. But it's, again, that's just like, I'm seeing these effects in action. Like, on my lap, I'm seeing the benefits of this in action. And to go back to the article for a little bit, it talks about how, basically what they did was they put these children into an fMRI machine and they analyze what happens to their brain as certain things are done. And just to quote the article really quick, they found the Goldilocks effect. And as it turns out, audio only. So if they just hear the story being told to them, there's some activity, but not a whole lot that's going on. If they watch an animation or a video of a story or just a video in general, I'm guessing, they call it too hot as in there's too much activity going on or there's plenty of activity going on in the brain, but nothing's really sticking uh, as opposed to the just right where they show just still pictures along with the audio. So is this something that you've kind of witnessed between the iPad story times and the holding up a paper book with the kids? Um, It is. It's funny. Um, The, They'll, they like they like the screen, but they'll get bored with it super quick. Where okay. and it's different when you read a book because you, like they can tell, like kids can tell if you're really into something, they're more likely to be into it too. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're reading something that you're lukewarm about, they're you're gonna lose them in like five seconds. Um, and and. The, the picture books for the iPad that I choose are usually just, they aren't as interactive and they aren't like just a movie that's like showing. So I'm still, I'm still doing the reading okay. thing. And if there are... So is it more like a slideshow for you? Like a handheld slideshow? Yeah, kind of more of like a slideshow, but there are interactive bits. So we'll take turns. So like the kids will come up and they'll press the button to turn the page. Or if there's a puzzle, we'll all work on that together and, and that type of thing. Okay. But 
the the things that we choose and even as a department that we choose are not movies everything that we choose is very like puzzle oriented and you need to think about what you're doing and like even if there's a like a cutaway scene and stuff like that it's just it's not it's never <laughs> we're just like putting it on and like watching the room go and letting them mm-hmm. do their own thing it's okay you know, this actually kind of goes back to i'm going to make another connection back to my whole interest in gaming as opposed to watching tv another argument or reason why i don't watch much tv is because i find it to be very passive where yeah. you're just kind of sitting on your couch or chair and you're watching a video yeah and you're not really absorbing much of it it's just it's just kind of there while in games you know, there's an interactivity aspect and <laughs> depending on what game you're playing there could be quite a lot of attention demanded uh, based on the the game that you're being that you're playing at the time yeah <laughs> Oh, and actually, this this just came to mind. Shortly after the Comic-Con, you were actually on another podcast, I guess I'll call it, uh, Super Geeked Up. Yeah. Uh, which I'm trying to get uh, Jeff to jump on the show as well. So, Jeff, I have not forgotten about you. Uh, I will be sending you the invite uh, soon enough. <laughs> but you told a very interesting story. The teens at the library will play Office Simulator? Yeah. Yep, they'll play what? like it's ridiculous. It's like a like an office job. It's like they're in office space and they have to like file things and like get coffee for your boss and like boring everyday things. So is it interesting <laughs> because it's different for them? Because I got like 16, 18, 20 years of office experience. Real life office experience if you really want to do that. I, I don't know if maybe because they're so overscheduled and there's so much school and there's so much homework and sports and getting to college yeah. and testing and all that, like maybe it's just a way for them to shut shut off. Like they don't have to think about it. I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, not really No, sure. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so yeah, Video Game Cross like is not a political podcast, uh, but there has been quite a bit of scuttle here in New York in regards to standardized testing. <laughs> And the pressure that we put on young students for everything academic, and it's just it's crazy suffocating. It, it is to yeah. some students. And like our town, um, they it, the education is there. Like the, the, there's a push for that, but the, ours is like a sports town. So like every kid is doing three sports and karate and like all of these overscheduled extracurricular things. And you're like, just let them be a kid, man. Like, <laughs> you know, like it, and it always comes back to like Norway or Sweden and the Scandinavian countries where they just let the kids be kids Yeah, and they end up doing so much better. Like we have generations of data that support this method. Let them but play. we decide that we need more standardized tests. Yeah. But yeah, but we're not going to actually read anything. That's that's fine. I know it's but that's why like when I do programs, I'm like, yay, we're just going to tumble for an hour. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on to the next little uh, science and tech article. And this was really interesting. And I just happened to hear this on NPR during my commute. But 3D scans help preserve history, but who should own them? And 
it was amazing. I was listening to this story and everything I heard was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. This is absolutely wonderful. So basically it's, there are 3d scans of historic sites from, I guess around the world. And they are all currently being stored on Google servers under their Google arts and culture division initiative, something like that. And it's awesome. It is so cool. Did you get a chance to look at any of this? Yeah, I read that one too. And it's interesting coming from um, a librarian perspective um, of our, our like mission to make sure that there's access for everyone, regardless of social standing, breed, mm-hmm. anything like that. And what the article I found that brought up was like, okay, so this like, someone is taking these 3D images and they're uploading them onto a site and that's fantastic. But the the countries where these these images are being uploaded or like the where the the ruins and the, the cultural things are don't have don't own the rights to those images. And, and that's then, the problem. Yeah, and then have to write for permission to use them from a third party. It's just like, but those are but they're they're oh. uh, uh. <laughs> and that's and like it all came crashing down. So that part is towards the end of the story. So like I said, like this is awesome, this is wonderful. Why would anyone have a problem with this? Oh, because the country itself doesn't have access or the rights yeah. to and their own the, scans. Like, the little glib, like, well, Google was the first one that got back to us and blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, all oh, right, well, they might have been the first one to get back to you, but maybe you should have entertained some other aspects or been like, okay, Google, you can host the server that has all these things, but each country that we put the images from is is an automatic shareholder, like has the rights to them. Like they don't give up the rights to the thing that's in their country to begin with. (laughs) So it's like, Oh, I'm torn. Um, because these high res images, I mean, they are amazing. They're beautiful. And they even mentioned uh, towards the beginning how these are very old ancient structures. It's a miracle that they're still standing to begin with. And earthquakes do happen all over the planet. Earthquakes do happen. Yeah. And damage could be done. Absolutely. Like I was, I was in the, what is beeping? I was in Nepal and like, after I came home, there was an, um, an earthquake that like completely destroyed one of the temples that I was at. So it doesn't exist anymore type of thing. And it's just like, I can't imagine that nobody else will get to see that. And it's really cool that they're taking these images. So they're never going to be lost. But at the same right. time, if someone like is privately hosting a server, this is like, okay, well, if you want to look at this, it's going to be like $50 a month or whatever. Even if it's $5 a month, it's just like, no. Yeah, anything at all, yeah. You don't own that. Oh. It's not yours. <laughs> I'm torn. <laughs> I like what you're doing, but do it better. <laughs> do it right. <laughs> Son of a nutcracker. Oh. Librarians are in arms. Information is yeah, free. That's right. <laughs> oh, we're going to have librarians uh, starting a revolution. <laughs> well... I mean, I don't know if you know this, but um, most revolutions are started and continued by librarians. 
Oh, really now? Yeah. I'll have to, I don't have the articles with me, but like the Harlem Renaissance, um, the like getting the, the like first bookmobiles, the um, suffrage, just everything was just started and continued by librarians that are like sneaky, sneaky, making sure people have access to information and <laughs> not taking no for an oh. answer. Nevertheless, as the saying goes, she persisted. <laughs> All right, time for an Audible interlude. For you, the listeners of Video Game Crosslight Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash vgxtpod and sign up for your free trial and download one of over 180,000 titles, such as The Dorito Effect by Mark Schatzker. So this, bit of an interesting book. My wife actually read this and gave me the synopsis as uh, she was going through. And it talks about our food supply and how actually a major issue is the flavor of our food. So I don't know if you've heard of this book, uh, but a lot of it and why they call it the Dorito effect is because whenever Doritos were being established, they were trying to figure out ways to make the Dorito chip tastes like a taco. And they're like, no, you can't make a food item taste like a combination of flavors. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. They kept tweaking the chemicals and they kept tweaking the flavorants and son of a biscuit. We now have all sorts of potato chips that taste like an actual item. So it goes into that. It goes into a little bit of, uh, for example, our chicken breasts, how they are absolutely massive today. Yeah, comparatively like, to what they were, yeah. Yeah. Like you, you look at a chicken breast and you think of you know, a chicken that you might see you know, on an actual farm or in a movie or something like that. And you think that is a huge chunk of meat to be on a chicken that's running around in the farm. Mm-hmm. That's because they don't run around. But that's sad because it's true it's terrifying (laughs) it is terrifying our food supply is so jacked up right now but between chicken and other fruits and vegetables uh we actually lose a lot of flavor when they are modified and uh bred to become so huge so that actually leads to part of our overeating because we're trying to get the same flavor or amount of flavor but we need more food to actually do that Yep. I was having this conversation at work the other day. The um, Some of the, the women who work in um, the Friends bookstore, which is like the bookstore downstairs um, that sells used books, um, we're talking about how meat doesn't taste the same as it used to anymore. It doesn't have the same flavor, and that's why they only buy um, from local farms with like the um, – like not any of the big – big meat products it's all the local fresh farm raised um organic all that kind of stuff and how they've noticed a change in in that meat compared to um like big chain stores and stuff like that right yeah so it's noticeable it's definitely noticeable 
So, once again, that is The Dorito Effect by Mark Schatzker, and you can download that for free by going to audibletrial.com slash vgxtpod. And now we're going to move into some gaming and geekery. First article up, Assassin's Creed has a new mission, Working in the Classroom. So, this isn't anything new. This update in Assassin's Creed Origins actually came out a few months back. But the reason why I bring it up today is because this article is actually the New York Times. So as opposed to Polygon or Kotaku or IGN or one of the other gaming and geekery outlets, this is now the New York Times that is now reporting on Assassin's Creed. So what has happened? And if you own the game, you receive this free update. And it is literally an interactive tour that you can go on throughout ancient Egypt. So what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's pretty cool. And um, it's something that I, when I was writing my master's thesis, was some of the, the research articles and things were about how games were used in the classroom in a way that would promote learning and things like that, like trying to reach kids on a level where they are um, and okay. in a medium that they're familiar with which I think is a good tool if you can hone it in a way that actually helps them to learn. Um, So quick side tangent, what was your thesis on? My thesis was actually on the educational merits of graphic novels and how they fit into the new Common Core standards. Okay. So this is a little bit of video games, so not quite graphic novels. But uh, so what did you find? Um, for my thesis, it was that, yes, for your thesis. Um, that they definitely would fit into the standards and would bring a broader range of like emotional and learning into it. So it's not just interpreting what the author may or may not have been saying by reading the text, but also looking at what the artists and the inkers bring into that by using color and how you can set mood with pictures and conveying like facial I just lost my word like when you can read someone's facial expressions and like getting Mm -hmm. that kind of social emotional intelligences and reading it's like a different way to read between the lines so you're getting more of the story than just just the text than just the text yeah really interesting because I'm working my way through the Sandman series so it's a graphic novel series by Neil Gaiman Gaiman (laughs) yeah and in, like, the, the preface, um, I can't remember, one of the more recent ones that I've read, it might be number five or six in the series, he actually talks about that very thing, about what font he uses for different characters. Uh, the scenery where it might be this total blizzard landscape, and the only color that you see is the character. Or, by contrast, you might have a scene that's full of color, but the only black and white is the character. Yeah. So that kind of contrast going on. Yeah, it's, it's really a, interesting. A whole different set of things that, like, uh, that someone would need to think about while they're reading. So I had looked at um, um, classic adaptations, so Great Expectations, that type of thing that have been done okay. in graphic novel form and are also being read in classrooms. So using them to compare against the classic text with 
the graphic novel text and, and looking at what, if anything, gets lost and what is better retained and what's easier to understand and and that type cool. of thing. So it was it was really neat. And like if I ever went for my doctorate, I'd probably like go and do some testing in classrooms to see if my thesis worked. <laughs> well, you got a heck of a foundation. And I mean, with this in particular, you could absolutely lean on this. Um, did they say that they did a study? Well, anyway, this concept in the very least. So getting back to the actual article, uh, you're able to go on tours through the, like Alexandria, the pyramids, uh, various locations throughout. I was actually able to play a little bit of this shortly after the update was launched. And there's also things, areas where you can get a tour of the Roman aqueducts that they were currently in various levels of completion. And additionally, it's Assassin's Creed, so you can climb on everything. <laughs> you want to see what uh, Alexandria looks like from the top of one of these domed uh, temples? Go for it. You want to see what this basin looks like from uh, one of the cliffs, hanging off the side of one of the cliffs? Go for it. It is a separate mode within the game that is completely combat-free. So that's how they're able to do it. Uh-huh. So rather than you know being attacked by guards or having icons appear all over the place for activities for you to do, you can you can go anywhere, do anything, climb on everything, and you can even select from a few different avatars, including you know, the main character or one of the other characters from the game. You can go as Cleopatra, you can go as one of the children, or you can just go as one of the Romans or Greeks or you know Egyptian elites. So all sorts of different things you you can go as. And what's what I find is really funny about this, or what I find really funny about this, is that it's kind of been a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing that the joke is that Assassin's Creed does a better job of teaching history than most history <laughs> textbooks. Textbooks, yeah. I mean, they they embellish and they you know do a little bit of alt history to make it fit within the narrative of the game itself. But everything that they've done as far as recreating different environments and telling the stories and leaning on historical figures, it's all been really spot on. And yeah, you can see a few screenshots that they also have tours that are set up. So as you're controlling this little avatar of Kimu or Aya from the game, there are little, not tokens, but uh, little waypoints that you interact with, and a narrator will come on and talk to you about what's happening in this location, why things were built the way they were, or basically an audio tour that's self-directed. Yeah, so like kind of what you would do in a museum anyway if you did like one of the walking one of the walking tours, it kind of tells you what you're looking at and why it was that way and how it helped. It's, actually it's exactly what it is. It is exactly what a walking tour would be. Except that uh, you can climb on all the displays in the virtual Except space. you can touch everything. <laughs> everything. Alright. Moving on, so this is this is more of a news little article going on and this kind of ties in to some other stuff 
that's happening locally over here in uh, Albany, New York. So Destiny 2, love the game so much. It's one of the games that I, I have, <clears throat> this was the first game that I intentionally purchased digitally as opposed to being the old man and buying the physical copy just because I knew that I was going to go back to this game in between major releases all the time. But over here in New York, the one of the side sub-studios by the name of Vicarious Visions, they, were, they took the lead for the latest expansion. And part of this launch is they actually made a geocache that the clues to finding this were actually put into the game itself. Which is so cool. <laughs> it is amazing. There is just this random, just this weird symbol that's on this random wall within one of the bunkers. And it makes no sense if you're looking at it. But it took a global online community to figure out that, yes, this is actually a code. There is There are ciphers that go along with it. And through Reddit and other forums, they were able to decrypt a like three-phase cipher message, which led to these coordinates that happened to be in upstate New York. That is the power of gaming, of modern gaming at this level. And it's just so, it's like the amount of intelligence and like paying attention and, and just cryptography is just amazing and the fact that so many people are working together and doing something that they love and and finding something that's actually there is even better yeah. yeah so you've done quite a bit of traveling have you done any geocaching um i did a little bit when i used to nanny but nothing to this extent <laughs> well yeah this is a little ridiculous <laughs> we, were, we weren't like <laughs> deciphering codes and stuff <laughs> I mean, I I used to do it a little bit a few years back. Um, it's fun to do if you go vacationing somewhere because there are caches hidden all over the world. Yeah. And usually it's just, you know, go to this location and you know, look around under the rocks and sticks to see if you can find a container. Or there's a few where there are some minor puzzles for you to solve and figure out what the final location is. But this, this just takes it to a whole, yeah, whole other level. level. <laughs> and yeah, what's really great about this is that uh, for players of the game, especially if you've been playing since the launch of destiny one, you finally get to learn who the, the stranger is, uh, who is Elsie Bray, which if you haven't played the game, that's a whole lot of gibberish. That means nothing to you, <laughs> but trust me, this is, this is a mystery that is four years in the making. Which, they, uh, like, the fact that they are thinking this far ahead and, like, they couldn't have just thrown, like, oh, you know it would be cool for this one? How about we do this thing? And whatever. Like, which, had to have been... Actually, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be surprised. So, Vicarious Visions is owned by Activision, who also owns Bungie, who is the main studio behind Destiny. And Vicarious Visions, it, it is so wild to hear that name being spoken on podcasts and on YouTubers' channels from, like, around the world. Because there's just this, you know, small-ish studio in upstate New York. They've done work on 
Skylanders and Guitar Hero back in the day. <laughs> so to hear, like, my name is Blythe over in the UK to mention Vicarious Visions, it's like, this is wild. <laughs> uh, so, and I bring this up because there's another article that I put it in the show notes. If I didn't, I will definitely... Oh, yes, there it is. Um, New York, all the New York, for whatever reason, we've been pushing this Tech Valley initiative for a while. So a little bit of local history going on right now. We've been pushing what's called Tech Valley, uh, where it's all sorts of tech and science companies that have been trying to lure into not just New York, but specifically upstate New York. So people from out of town may be surprised to hear that there's more to New York state than just New York city. Surprising. I know. But, uh, there have been a few video game studios. I've been opening up as well. And recently this month, one of our assemblymen has actually made a push for a tax credit for specifically video game developers to actually come to the area. And it's all kind of like swirling in this really awesome way right now. And Vicarious Visions is definitely one of the studios that is helping to promote this. That's really cool. (laughs) All the local businesses and stuff too. Oh, yeah. And um, crap, this might have been one of the lost lost recordings at the beginning of this. Big news uh, for me personally, I was recently interviewed by our local newspaper, the Times Union. Uh, for the work that I'm doing with this podcast. And one of the questions that they had asked me about was, what are my thoughts on this, uh, of New York and specifically the capital region of New York becoming a hub for video games? And really, we are basically primed for growth right now. After we've been doing years of this tech valley, I I joked with a reporter saying, listen, what do nerds like to do? (laughs) play video games, and drink craft beer. It's basically what we do. So you got it covered, basically. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And if you look around in our area, we've got craft breweries popping up all over the place. So we've got the craft beer covered. We've got all these tech and science businesses and uh, labs that are established in the area. You got a lot of nerds, and nerds are going to want to something to do so it just seems natural that more video game either startups or small independent studios are going to be popping up and let's be honest being a geek is cool right now and it's just going to keep getting bigger it's very true so it's very in to be a geek right now (laughs) it still blows my mind to drive down the street and see some people wearing like a super mario brothers t-shirt like it's the coolest thing yeah I I would have been given a swirly if I wore that T-shirt in high school back in my back in my day. <laughs> when you had to walk uphill both both ways to get to the- That's right. In, in the never-ending snowstorms, <laughs> indeed. So, yeah, being a geek is cool. Let's just, I mean, that line has been repeated over and over again. Uh, but it's definitely worth mentioning it again because, yeah, looks like we're going to, have a few more studios. If this passes through the state budget, we uh, might see a new little center for gaming pop up here in upstate. And in the Northeast, again, what makes us kind of uniquely primed for this is 
Albany is about three hour. It's about a three hour drive from Albany to New York City if you go straight south. Going straight east, we're about a three hour drive to Boston, and going about a three hour drive straight north, you get into Montreal. So we're like surrounded by massive major cities. But if you live in the Albany area, you don't need to pay massive major city taxes or housing expenses. Mm-hmm. So you you can afford to live in the Albany area yeah. as opposed to spending $3,000 a month for a studio apartment in New York City <laughs> or something like ungodly like that. It's, it's, it's not basically, far off. <laughs> no, it really isn't though. That's the thing. It's not that far off. It's just comical. Like we, uh, being up here, I just can't even fathom spending that many hundreds or thousands of dollars just for, you know, and the cliche of the New York City apartment being tiny is also like not exaggerated. Yeah, like what are you paying for? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I helped my brother when my brother lived in New York City for a few years. I helped him move into one of his apartments, and we flop his bed down into his bedroom. And it would like took up the entire floor. Oh God! Like, and I'm looking around. I'm like, dude, you don't have a closet in your bedroom. And that's when I realized that there were two armoires in his living room area. <gasps> like, oh my God, your closet isn't in your bedroom. Nope, it's outside. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But so yeah, uh, video game developers and other tech and science studios and labs uh, come to Albany. You can still remote into any of your colleagues down in New York City, and you don't have to pay three thousand dollars for a studio. <laughs> this podcast is not paid for, by <laughs> yeah, right, by the renters board or whatever. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, we got some listener questions coming in. So, first one, uh, it's a trio of questions from Ashley Barth, and her first question is, Molly, have you ever taught children's yoga? And the answer to that is definitely a yes. Yes. Um, at the con at Empire, I did children's yoga, but I also have done several programs at the library, and I incorporate it in my story times for my preschoolers. Okay. It's really so what awesome. do you do with that? Um, for my preschoolers, um, it's basically to get them tired, um, (laughs) like super excited and it's morning and they've usually had a nap and a snack. So they're just bouncing off the walls. So we'll do like yoga drills until they're so tired. And I, and I know that they're tired because we'll be like, Miss Molly, can we just read the story now? And I'll be like, yes, <laughs> yes, we can. And then they're good for like the 15 minutes of reading the story. And then we do another round of yoga drills and it's time to go upstairs to your grown up. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Second question. So why do you enjoy playing Gamora and Wonder Woman in particular? Um, well, they're both very strong women, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, physically and like emotionally. And they're Wonder Woman is probably my favorite of everything. Wonder Woman, as they say, is not a character; it's a state of mind. Okay. I try to like live my what would Wonder Woman do lifestyle because it's about moving forward with kindness and compassion and being truthful and always looking for those um those moments when 
like you're being tested or mm-hmm. like helping someone else. It's it's that's what I like about them. And the same thing, I guess you could kind of say that with Gamora too. Like, yes, she's a legendary assassin and outlaw, but when it comes down to it, she does make the right decision. Mm-hmm. And their costumes are pretty cool, and they both have swords, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's fun. <laughs> uh, and I think we've already kind of answered this question through our conversations, but do your three passions of cosplay, yoga, and librarian intersect? And yeah, they definitely do. Yes, a lot. <laughs> a surprising amount. Yeah, actually. kind of one of those like, oh, everything, everything is connected. <laughs> being a librarian like helps me talk to people because you're very social and, and interactive with them, and that has a good aspect for cosplay and of course the reading. So you know where your characters are from and then yoga is just bringing it all together. <laughs> okay. Uh, next up we have Aaron Sturdivant. What's going on, Aaron? Uh, he hung out with me during the comic cons and he actually has his own podcast going called horror with Sir Sturdy. So his question is, have you ever done a cosplay that is horror related? And if not, would you ever consider that? Um, I have not, currently. Um, I had been in talks with um, some friends who do, um, like, sets at conventions. Um, mm-hmm. and they do horror sets primarily, so they wanted me to come in and, like, pose for, like, be, like, a live actor in those. Um, okay. But I haven't yet, anyway. But um, okay. I love... I love horror movies, even though I get scared really easily. Um, but I really want to do like a super dark mermaid. <laughs> you know, like, like the sharp teeth and the claws that like eat people. Like, All right. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to say that I'm going to stalk your social media and wait for that to come out, but um, I'm going to stalk your social media and wait for that costume. <laughs> I know I'm working with silicone and latex now, so once I once I sort that out, um, make my own tail, and then all bets are off. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, and also next question is from Chris Osmore, uh, another friend of mine who has hung out with me at the cons, and he actually started his own podcast recently called Stories from a Bar, and so Chris asks. What is the most inconvenient time you've been stuck wearing your Wonder Woman costume? Um, it's never inconvenient to be in a Wonder Woman costume. <laughs> yeah, first off, we'll start with that. All right. Um, it wasn't actually a Wonder Woman. It was Gamora. And it was actually after um, Empire Comic Con when I was driving home. Okay. So I was still green. Story. In my, in everything. And, uh, I was driving the back roads because from from Albany back to Connecticut because there was a, an accident on the highway and I didn't want to deal with that because I wanted to be okay. home. Um, but I was in the mountain roads and driving along, um, going probably about 55, 60. And then all of a sudden there was town. Um, and I was still going 55, 60. And the, the speed limit was 30. And uh, there was a cop on the other side of the road that like peeled out and threw on his lights, and um, it was ridiculous, like like flashing and smoke and craziness. Um, so I got pulled over, as you do, <laughs> and uh, so I'm green. 
So the cop comes up to the car and he's just like, license and registration. And I'm like, awesome. So I give him my license and my registration. And of course, I'm not green in my license picture. Um, And he's just like, where are you coming from? And I have like swords in my back seat, (laughs) (laughs) shield and all this stuff. Like, oh, I was at Comic-Con in Albany. And he's just like, oh, no way. Like, yep, I was uh, teaching yoga and whatever. He's like, all right. And he like takes all my stuff and walks away. And I had a friend in the car with me and he's just like, it's going to be fine because I'm getting teared up. And I'm like, I'm so stupid. Like, I can't believe it. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you're not going to get a ticket. I'm like, I was going 55 and a 30. Of course I'm going to get a ticket. And and all this stuff and whatever. So the cop comes back and he's just like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry I missed that Albany Comic-Con. I always go to the one in, uh, it used to be in Hartford, Connecticut. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I go to that one all the time. Uh, it's now at Foxwoods. And I'm uh, like, if you go, I'm going to be a guest there. So you should look me up. You've got all my information. <laughs> at the same time. Uh, right. <laughs> Molly, stop being a snarky, snarky snark. So he's like, okay, so I wrote you a warning. Um, you're not going to get a ticket today. Just make sure that you slow down. I'm like, haha, yeah. Usually Rocket's the one who drives. Go <laughs> <So laughs> save the galaxy. <laughs> oh, stop talking, Molly. <laughs> like, yeah, because you're Gamora, right? And I was like, I am Gamora. Thanks for noticing. Like, yeah. Um, all right. Well, drive safe, my green friend. And he like gives me all my stuff back and the the warning. And he like drives away. And, like, my friend turns to me, and he's just like, only you would get the nerd cop. And I was just like, it's amazing. (laughs) That is awesome. So, not exactly inconvenient, but helpful. (laughs) Still super awkward during the process of it all. So, yeah, we'll accept that. (laughs) Yeah, it's more of a, like, a Molly, stop talking. Just shut up. (laughs) Yeah, oh, I was... Going back into my bachelor days, we were headed out in downtown with my, my brother, my cousin, and some friends. And, like, we're just getting to the downtown area. And I think my cousin cut off a cop not knowing the <laughs> cop was back there. And it's just, you know, it, it it's like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. You really can't see everyone that's you know, around you. So, unfortunately, it was a cop car that he inadvertently cut off. So, cop obviously comes up, comes in, you know, license and registration, looks inside the car, and it's like four Guidos. You know, the slicked hair, the shiny shirts, the whole nine. And he just looks at us and goes, Oh, what do we have here? The Vienna Boys Choir? <laughs> and my brother's in the back going, Yeah, we're taking requests. And I just like shoot him the death glare of all death glares. <laughs> Luckily, we got off without without a scratch, no no issues. But <laughs> I mean, just the whole like shut up, shut up, totally get the story. Stop talking. What are you doing? <laughs> All right. So now we're going to move into the final five questions of the episodes. These questions range from irrelevant to irreverent. The first two are always the same, and the last three have a theme. Here we go. So first question. Coffee or tea? Coffee in the morning, tea at night. <laughs> Anything in particular? Like, how do you take your coffee? Usually black, unless I'm in Europe, in which case it's lattes and cappuccinos all day. All right. <laughs> all right. So, so this is video game crosstalk. But do you play any tabletop games? 
I do. I'm in the middle of a D&D campaign right now. Um, awesome. Yes. I haven't played in a long time, so we started it back up this um, this year. So it's been really, really fun. I'm the okay. um, I'm the heavy of the group, so. Are you? <laughs> I am. All right. So I'm usually the one that gets attacked first, and I've almost died like eight times, and all the good stuff. Quick, block his club with your face. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Stop it with your fist. That's not how this works. <laughs> oh my god, just give me heals. <laughs> Medic! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next three, so the theme here, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you have thrower of sharp things on your business card. So all of these are going to be centered around throwing things. Ooh. <laughs> so question number three, have you ever witnessed a kid throwing an epic tantrum? Oh, God, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Is there a story behind that? So many. Okay. Uh Probably the most recent one is we just got um, like play kitchens for the library okay. section. And one of them is a little food cart that like you can make little hot dogs or ice cream, sell ice cream and stuff. And there's a little bag of chips that goes with it, like a little plastic bag of like a hard plastic bag of chips. Okay. And so the library closes at nine o'clock at night, Monday through Thursday. So it was a Thursday at 850 and this little little girl, probably two and a half, maybe three, uh, her mom is trying to get her to leave, and they have been trying to leave for the last hour, and every five minutes, it's, okay, five more minutes. Um, so it's five minutes before we close, and the little girl is throwing the biggest tantrum of her life because she doesn't want to let the little bag of chips go. Jeez. And... The mom is not doing anything to, like, take it away from her. And my, I have a series of rules um, as a librarian and for story time. And one of them is we do not negotiate with toddler terrorists. <laughs> there you go. So, like, obviously you're bigger than she is. You take <laughs> it, you put it away, and then you pick them up and you leave. Especially when tantrums are happening because that's not helping anybody. Um, and she wouldn't. And then she turned to me and she said, you need to take that away from her because I want to leave. And I'm like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> that's not my job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. So, yeah, yeah. So she started, like, punching and knocking things over. and. Oh, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Nope. And so, like, I got a sticker and I, like distracted her she took the sticker i grabbed the bag of chips and then her mom dragged her out but it was a nightmare <laughs> yeah jacob if he hasn't figured it out yet in his uh 19 month old brain daddy is heartless and <laughs> daddy does not play that at all uh, i feel a little bad sometimes because if he's just gonna flop on the floor while i'm trying to pick him up or walk someplace else uh, I spend very little time coaxing him to get back up. I will just pick him up and go. Uh, yep. Right. I will not. I, I've been trying to be a little bit more compassionate. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. Uh, because but I compassion do, is one thing, but yes. but like, you can't, you, you don't get a choice at three. Like, okay, well. Yeah, like, uh, we're actually in L. Bean the other day, and 
hold Betty's hand when we're out in the stores and whatnot. But, you know, if he wants to walk around a little bit, yeah, I'll just kind of hover around behind him. But if we need to go to Mommy, who's, you know, a few aisles over, you know, grab my hand, we're, we're going to go over there. And he just yep. walked on the floor. And it was, I, in this instance, I just kind of let him flop and kind of tantrum a little bit. Like, you you can get it out, kid. So get it out. <laughs> I'll wait. I'll wait. But only for so long. And then it just got, <laughs> like, no, no, we're leaving now. So I just kind of hoisted them up and, you know, screaming in my ear. Well, too bad. We're going. Yep. Well, that was like my parents. Like I threw one tantrum when we were in a restaurant and they like, my dad like just picked me up and dragged me outside and that was it. We like never went back there. Yep. Uh, okay. Moving on. Uh, have you ever <laughs> thrown shade at anyone? Have I ever thrown shade at anyone? Not intentionally. Not intentionally? <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, when, like, I get hangry, like, super hangry. Uh-oh. Um, and, like, my boyfriend knows that he needs to, like, carry things for me to eat okay. at all po- at all times. <laughs> just like and, um, <laughs> and I have them, too, and it's, like, auxiliary snacks, just in case. So, okay. usually... That's the only time when, like, I'll side-eye someone be like, what the hell is this person doing? All right. So <laughs> you start to blame yeah. it on the hangry? Yeah, I blame it on the hangry. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, oddly enough, I don't think I've ever thrown shade or even, I guess, sniping is what it used to be called. But sniping. No, I'm, I'm very much direct. If I'm going to insult you, I'm Oh, yeah, it's going to be right at you from the front. <laughs> you're not a rogue you don't do it from behind no not really like <laughs> you're you're gonna know it was me you, i'm gonna make sure you know that i did this type of thing. <laughs> all right final question throw pillows functional or fashionable um i am not in the extra pillow camp okay um, my couch that I'm sitting on right now has the two pillows that it came with. Um, and there is one extra one that I was given as a gift, but it has a mermaid tail on it. And it said, um, I must be a mermaid for I have no fear. I have no fear of depth and a great fear of shallow living. There you go. It's the only throw pillow that I have. <laughs> All right, and that is all the time we have for this episode. Time for end of show plugs. You can follow me, Anthony Rossi, on Twitter, Instagram, PS4, and Twitch at HyperSyntax, H-Y-P-3-R-S-I-N-T-4-X. Or you can follow the podcast directly either on Twitter at VGXTPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash VideoGameCrosstalk. Also, you can visit the website at VideoGameCrosstalk.com and get the full show notes. As for my guest, Miss Molly, where can our beautiful listeners follow you around? Um, on Instagram, I'm Miss Molly the Librarian13. Um, on Facebook, I am Miss Molly the Cosplayer. No numbers. Um, and on Twitter, I am Virillo M. V-I-R-E-L-L-O-M. I don't tweet very much, but occasionally pictures will get thrown up there or when I get tagged in other things. Um, but it's always pretty fun to do. <laughs> And finally, if you are a gamer or know a gamer that wants to talk some tech and science news, let me know. 
Do you know some tech news you'd like to hear discussed? Do you have any other general questions you'd like to hear answered on the show? Send an email to videogamecrosstalk at gmail.com and give me the beats on what's going down. Please don't forget to like, review, subscribe, and share this podcast all over your social media accounts, and we can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thank you one last time for hanging out with us, and Molly, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right, and in the words of Johannes Brahms, without craftsmanship, inspiration is a mere reed shaken in the wind.